And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. everybody welcome to i like a spooky horror podcast i'm brian i'm clint and it is the most wonderful time of the year i bet you didn't know i could sing huh i didn't no me either i really don't think i can it is though the most wonderful time of the year we are in the in october and i tell you what it's almost overload brian there is just so much haunted houses, horror events, Halloween horror nights. God, the, the H45 convention just happened. There's movies coming out everywhere, TV specials. It's almost overload, but I love it. Funny story. My nephew messaged me the other day and said, have you seen Saul 10 or whatever the X, whatever the hell it is? And I was like, no, not yet. And he's like, I've seen it three times. You want to go see it again? And I was like, wow. Kinda. I mean, I hear it's okay. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but you've seen it three times. I was like, there's a lot of other stuff I'd rather watch than Salt 10, but I could try to go next year in November after all this shit's done. Yeah, same thing, because we're busy as hell, too, just in the stuff that we have going on. That's what I say. There's so much out there, so much in the news. And speaking of news, let's get to some. So my news, surprise, surprise, is about The Last Drive-In. Hey, everybody, have you heard the news? Joe Bob is back in town. So we're getting The Last Drive-In Season 6 with a lot of big changes. It's going to be every other Friday. 30 episodes, one movie on Friday nights, which is good for me because it's over at fucking one in the morning. And when you get up at five o'clock to go to work, who wants to stay up till one o'clock on a Friday night and watch a movie and then have to get up early the next day? The specials will be two movies. So as they go through the year, they'll have specials. They will be two movies. You said every other Friday or every every Friday? Every other Friday. So 30 episodes in a year. So 26 regular episodes and then four bonus episodes, maybe around like holidays. You know, they did like a Thanksgiving, Christmas, Valentine's Day. More Joe Bob, which is always a good thing. And more often, I think the people at Shudder, there's been a change in the guard at AMC and Shudder. And I think they finally got it through their thick skulls that Joe Bob and the last drive-in is what keeps Shudder going. When I don't have the last drive-in to watch, I don't usually turn Shutter on. I mean, I'll turn it on maybe once a month and flip through and see if there's anything exciting on there. But he's keeping the channel going, I feel like. And I mean, they're pushing The Walking Dead with him. And he's doing ho- he's done Halloween already this year. And they're pushing a lot of their specials with him. I think it'll also help them with their original movies, if they can get him to cover them. I mean, they, he covered Hellbender last year. I think it was last year. And I, I enjoyed that movie and I enjoyed it even more with him. I think if they can get some of their original stuff covered by him, it'll help. I think it's a more sustainable business model. It just makes sense. And then I wonder too, if it plays into, I brought up a couple times recently when we talked about Joe Bob, about his age and getting older. I wonder if maybe that's part of it too. So it's not so, you know, it's just more even, more even paced, not so much at once. I think it's actually a really good thing. So I don't, I don't know what other people are going to think if they're going to miss the the binge, miss the binge, you know, but Yeah, a lot of people I've heard, they're not upset, but they're like, oh, I'm going to miss my Friday nights cooking and setting up the projector and chatting with my friends online. It it was an experience. And I was like, it can still be that. It just, you know, it's going to be two and a half hours instead of five or six hours, 10 weeks. It's going to be all year round, which that's what we want. We want more of it. And then hell, when people that still want to do that for that longer experience that they're used to, then just when Joe Bob ends, just show another movie that you like. That was one of the fun things that I would do sometimes if I could stay awake is there was always the movie after. So you always kind of tried to stay awake and see what the movie was after. And there was one night I stay up for like two movies. It was like five in the morning. I went to bed. So that's always kind of fun because you don't know what it is after. So what about you? What do you got for news? So mine, kind of like uh, the last episode, I chose something that's a little bit more of a discussion. It's not necessarily news. This came from an article from early September uh, from ComingSoon.net. Uh, it's not necessarily horror related. In fact, it's really, it's not, but it's rather a take on the current state of filmmaking. This is from a recent Hollywood Reporter interview where they interviewed School of Rock director Richard Linklater or Ladder. He said that he thinks the current state of indie filmmaking has gone to the algorithm. 
Uh, and he asks if there is a new generation that really values cinema anymore. He said, quote, with a changing culture and changing technology, it's hard to see cinema slipping back into the prominence it once had. I think we could feel it coming on when they started calling films content, but that's what happens when you let tech people take over your industry. I just thought it was an interesting take. I read through the article and I thought, hey, this would be something cool to discuss real quick on the news on the show here. So what do you think about that? Well, I think we've talked a lot about it with Leah from Mishmash about content on our social media stuff like YouTube and TikTok, how a cat video or something stupid that we feel like isn't entertaining gets 100, 200, 4 million views. And then you put something out that you feel like is interesting and it gets like 40 views, you know? So it's like, what are people looking for? And again, it's a lot of tech people because they know how to do the filters and all the other stuff, but they're not really classically trained actors or actresses or theater people or probably even have any acting skills. They're just, I don't want to say they're just, they're people sitting at home making stuff to throw on the internet to make money. I don't feel like there's a passion involved for them. It's a, I can make money doing this. I'm going to do it and put it out. I mean, there are a few people that I, you know, you come across um, that do put out amazing stuff that I genuinely enjoy and watch Richard Diaz that does all the releases for physical media. I watch him. He's great. I mean, there's a guy that's got a website called Disconnected that puts out all kinds of stuff about physical media again. That's great. But yeah, a lot of it I feel like is just people putting out content to make money. You know, there's no passion behind it. As far as the social media stuff, I agree. This is kind of a silly example, but I posted a post the other day on my Facebook page and it was a picture of me that my daughter took. She's on the yearbook staff at the high school now. And I went to the homecoming game because Boots wanted to go and hang out with her friends. And I was like, all right, I'll go hang out. You know, not, not my scene, but I'll go. And so my daughter snapped a picture of me sitting in the stands and I posted it and said, here's a rare picture of me doing something normal. And I got probably the most reactions and comments and stuff like that that I've gotten in a while, but then I'll craft you know a well put together post for something in the industry or something for our show or whatever. And you know, I'll get a, a minimal amount of reactions. So it's crazy. As far as the filmmaking side of that, I agree to a point. I think it goes along with what I've said before, and that is, you know, the intent the attention span keeps shrinking in, in general. So I think people just aren't up for something of substance right now. You take a Barbenheimer. You know, I'm not knocking Barbie, the Barbie movie, but I mean, the Barbie movie was just kind of a bubble gum. Yeah, I had its social commentary, everything, but then it went against Oppenheimer, which is a film of substance and history. And, you know, Barbie beat it out by a huge margin. I don't know if I agree with Richard Linklater, though, other than he specifically said indie, which that is the part that kind of I, I disagree with. I think your big budget stuff has been off for years, and I think our listeners would agree that it's a, usually cash grabs and they're just out of touch with the general public. But I, I don't agree with him about the indie part because there's a lot of great indie content. We talk about it on the show all the time. I think, if anything, what might hurt the indie scene is something that when we interviewed Sylvia Kaminer for Follow Her, which our audience still hasn't been able to listen to because we're waiting to be able to release it because of the current SAG strike. One of the things she mentioned in that interview from an indie filmmaker standpoint is it is so hard to get anything made. Kind of like you just said, Brian, it's more accessible. Everybody is making content. Everybody is there. I used his word content, but everybody is making films. So it's really hard to compete. But in that indie scene, you see the Mavericks that pop up, like the Terrifier series or Eli Ross Thanksgiving that's getting ready to come out. I will guarantee you that that is going to be a hit. And that, that's coming from the mouth of someone who does not like Eli Roth. So, yeah, I think it's more satur saturation when it comes with film. Well, I think Terrifier is a perfect example, though, and not bashing anybody that has anything to do with those films. But we got the first one. And as a horror fan, I love the first one. It's simple. It's to the point. It's gory. It's what I want. Short and sweet. And then you get to the second one. And I feel like the first one did so well. Some of that outside pressure was on him to make this movie longer and gorier, have more story that it didn't need. But I think some of that outside pressure from people and probably the industry pushed on him, and I didn't enjoy the second one. I found myself at times on the second watch fast-forwarding through the parts that were like, okay, they're talking. I get it. I, I don't need a 15-minute dialogue between two people to get to the next scene where art's in it. 
And maybe that's what he's talking about. You know, you become successful as an indie director or you get some success and people start putting pressure on you. Then you get sucked into that algorithm of what outside forces think is successful or needs to happen. No, I agree. And our friend Brent Edgett would probably fight us because he is the biggest Terrifier fan. And, and I am too. And I don't despise two, but I agree with you. We've talked about it before. I liked the tone of one. And then when it got to two, you had these outside elements put in that it almost seemed like we're being force fit in, you know, a, a round peg into a square hole. And I think... And we haven't seen it. And I'm just going by some things that I've read. I think Damien Leone, do you say, is it Leone or Leone? I think it's Leone. Has alluded to that with Terrifier 3 that's going to be coming out, it's going to be even gorier, but it sounds like it's going to revert back to that darker, straightforward tone a little bit. Almost like he was even aware of, okay, I made this film that I wanted to make, but maybe I let a little bit of outside pressure and let's get back to the core of things. You know, the weirdest thing about Terrifier 2 I like the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it, yeah, the part two thing, the, the Brian Godsill part two syndrome. Yeah. It's actually a part, well, is it a part two? I mean, Art the Clown's in All Hallows Eve, so that would be like his first appearance. Yeah, it's technically part three, sort of. I tell you, we'll call it, we'll call it part two and a half. 2.5 works for me regardless though i'm curious if anybody's listening shoot us an email at i like at gmail.com once you hear this episode and tell us what you think or message us or send us uh you know something on our socials and let us know what you think is the current trend of filmmaking has it gone to the algorithm and just bots or the is the human element still alive one thing that you can say about filmmaking right now is your hits like terrifier and stuff like that you know, there's a lot of financial successes in there and that makes me think about money and the fact that it is october and there's so much shit going on i don't have any this month probably every month yeah every month i'm an idiot so i had to order boggy <laughs> creek again because i ordered it on 4k and then i realized I don't have a 4K player. I thought I had a PS5. It's a PS4. My son has a PS5. I bought it on Blu-ray. It came with a, another autograph, another beautiful slip. Great movie. Haven't watched it yet. I think Finley and I will probably sit down one day, you know, towards the end of the month and pop it in and watch it. She watched the second one with me and really enjoyed it. And the first one's better. Again, another movie that I liked the first one better. Again, if I have a chance to watch something on VHS, I will. If I could use a rotary phone. I still have my flip phone. I use it as a... A fidget spinner. But anyway, um, are 4K players expensive? I don't even know the price of them. Uh, about 200 250 unless you can find one at the pawn shop, you know, and then you could maybe grab it for 50 to to 100 bucks. Now, will a 4K player play Blu-rays and DVDs, things subpar, or is it specifically 4K? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I would imagine it would play those. You know, it's backwards. You would think so. Whatever the hell I call it. The nice thing about 4K is they're region-free. So you don't have to have a region-free player to play stuff from another country, which you do with some of the Blu-rays. But I have a region-free player, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, they're they're still pretty pricey. And I don't know that there's that much difference in quality. I mean, maybe sound. I mean, it's Boggy Creek. What do you want? <laughs> I mean, it was really grainy to start with. And that's some of the worries with, I think, that we've talked about is as you clean some of these older movies up, are you going to take away Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the grainy feel of it? Are you going to lose that? I don't want to. I want to watch it the way that it was filmed and the way it was shot, the way it was intended to be viewed. I know I lucked out recently, and I think I was telling you this, but last Christmas, my oldest wanted the new, the newer Top Gun movie, Top Gun Maverick. And so I was in the store and I saw it and I grabbed it. It wound up being a 4K. I wasn't paying attention. And I just, I work off a of PS4, so I couldn't watch it. Luckily, it had the code where you could download the digital link so we were still able to watch it but yeah i've also ordered the poster for boggy creek because i saw it and I, it's just a simple beautiful poster you know it's just a picture of the monster running through the lake with the sun coming up in the background or going down in the background and i couldn't find one except for the original which is like 400 bucks so they had some remakes that they'd done boggy creek website and it was 35 bucks so i was like hell i'll take it i'll find somewhere for it to go maybe behind me by the Spooky banner. If anybody wants a copy of Boggy Creek on 4K, Brian might be selling his, and he'll even autograph it, which means it's going to you know degrade the price. It's going to drop the price. You'll get it even cheaper. Then I got my vinegar syndrome order. 
Curse of the Screaming Dead. Old Western looking kind of movie. This is the one I'm interested to see, and I've heard this is good. Ghost Nursing. But I heard it was good from Brian Clark, so. What's odd about Brian Clark is him and I agree on things, on films that I've seen, but I am leery about things that I haven't seen. If he's like, check this out, I'm like, oh boy, I don't know. That's my go-to when I'm like, I want something really weird to watch. I just shoot him a message. I get something really weird to watch. Usually something that I have that I haven't opened from Vinegar Syndrome. Then we got Arnold. I don't know. Maybe Arnold's a vampire. Looks like it. Evil Judgment. Donnie's Bar Mitzvah. I don't think it's horror, but it looked fun. And it's old VHS kind of looking tape. I don't even know what to make of that based off the visual of that. Keep going. Annie Lee's Meat Pies. That looks fun. Oh, that looks even more fun. Annie Lee ain't bad looking. And the last one. This is for a friend of mine. The Incredible Melting Man. Oh, it's beautiful. When are we going to cover that show? We need to cover that show next year sometime. We talk about it quite a bit. It's a 4K and a Blu-ray, though, so you can watch it. But you probably have it on VHS, so. I do. That's what I got this month. I didn't really get anything. I just ordered it, and it comes to my door. And I still have the whole stack from last episode sitting over here with, you know, Killer Condom and all those. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to build you some more shelving. You're going to have to expand into a bigger room. You could like, you know what you could do? You could like open up, we should open up like an I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast rental service. You got to put a deposit down though. Well, that's what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah. It would, because honestly, a lot of the titles that you have, fans of those are never going to find them anywhere. And they're going to have to pay, you know, you know, you, you spend quite a bit of money on all this stuff. That might be interesting, especially your doubles. So you don't worry as much. I think we're on to something. Make us some money. Would you get anything? I got a few things. I did. So uh, my Creepshow comic, last episode I talked about how it was a mission failure. Well, it was mission success. I went back the following week, which was a week before this recording, I think, and got the uh, first issue of Volume 2. They had some more come in. I freaked out a little bit because I came into the store on the day they told me they were going to be back. And I got down there earlier this time because I didn't want I didn't wait for Boots to get out of school. I was like, you know, I'm just going down there. It wasn't out on the shelf. And I'm like, oh, man, it's already sold out again. And he's like, well, no, I, I haven't unloaded the boxes yet. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, I felt bad. He had to dig through. They were sitting at the bottom. It took a minute. Got my Creepshow comic. Interesting note, you know, side story, whatever about that is. Uh, if you look through the Creepshow comic, there's a section, and I forget what they call it, but it's where, like, you can, as a fan, write in, and they'll put your note on a page. And there's, you know, a few of them make it each episode. One of the notes that made it in was from someone from my hometown of Jackson, just 20 minutes north of where I live, who gets their comics from Nostalgia, Inc. So Nostalgia, Inc. got a little plug from that and everything, so that was kind of neat. And then I went ahead, since I was there, I said, put me back on the list, man. I set these aside for me. And he's like, okay, will do. I I don't want to miss out on the rest of them. I don't have time to for the thrill of the hunt. Uh, the other day I was at Meyer. If anybody listening remembers, I know we do a lot of Spill the Guts. It's three times a week and we've been doing it since uh, May. So there's a lot of Spill the Guts contents. But one of the earlier Spill the Guts episodes is the fact that Meyer, if there's a Meyer in your area, that now they carry NECA. So I went to Meyer the other day just to grab some random stuff. And so I always cruise through the NECA section because Brian had just gotten a hold of me a couple of days prior. He was at a Target by where he lives in Illinois and they had asked accidentally put out the ultimate McReady figure, NECA figure, uh, McReady from the thing. And I don't, did they, was it so cheap because they put it out ahead of time? I don't understand that. I don't either. It wasn't supposed to be out until Friday. And I was actually visiting my son up by Chicago in St. Charles and I had extra time. So I was like, let's go to Target and look. And I go and I'm looking for the records and Target's kind of switching around their records and physical media stuff. So I was back there and I couldn't find the records and end cap with clearance stuff on it. And there's like five of those. I took a picture and I sent it to our buddy Tad because he's a big collector of NECA and pretty much any figure. And he's like, give me one of those. I think I sent it to you and I was like, hey, look at this. It's not even supposed to be out yet. And you're like, ah, I'm good. And I was like, no, this is... 10 bucks cheaper than it's going to be, and it's not out until Friday. And it sounds like a lot of targets put them out and just clearanced them. They, they didn't even make it to the NECA section because Tad sent me a picture about the My Bloody Valentine. He found two of them in Burlington at his target on clearance. So we're just going to trade. I'm going to give him the one and he's going to give me the My Bloody Valentine one. I don't know. Somebody made a mistake somewhere or maybe Target's just like, man, we don't care. We got enough money. We got too much shit in the NECA section already. Let's just put these on the clearance. They do. So I was able to pick up one of those because Brian, yeah, I was. I sent him a message. I sent you a message back and I was like, 
no, I've already got that. What do you mean it isn't out yet? And he was like, no, look. And I'm like, oh, it's the ultimate. Okay, okay. So I got that too, which I still got to, I got to pay Brian for, but got it on the cheap. So because of all that, when I was at Meyer, I swung through their NECA section. One of the black and whites, I had the color version of the uh, NECA Bride of Frankenstein. The black and white version was there. So I snagged it just because I've got both of Frankenstein's monsters. So now that whole collection along with the accessory pack that Brian got for me a while back is all complete. While I was at Meyer, I got all my Halloween candy. I never do it early, but I did this time. And now I've got bags and I I get a lot of fucking trick-or-treaters, a lot of trick-or-treaters. That's one of the only reasons I I like where I live is because Halloween is huge where I live. So I bought a shit ton of candy and then I'm getting flack from people. They're like, you bought it early. You're just going to have to go back and buy more because you know you're going to eat it all. I don't think they realize the... 7,000 pounds, the other 7,000 pounds of sugar I have stashed around my house everywhere. I got a sweet tooth. That's it. Candy and toys and comics. There's there's something else I want. As of this recording, H45 is going on in Pasadena, California. And I want one of those 1,000 limited edition Halloween 3 uh, Tom Atkins figures that Sean Clark put together and people are already putting them on eBay and they're expensive. One guy's got it autographed and he wants like 700 bucks plus shipping. And it's, it's just fucking ridiculous. And it's kind of salt in the wound for fans like myself who couldn't make it out there. It's like, come on. You know what I mean? I've seen some that are like around 300 bucks. That's a little more reasonable, a little more reasonable. They're not autographed, but why would I pay six, $700 for one autographed? When I can buy it for two or three hundred dollars and then just go pay Tom Atkins, you know, 40, 50, 60 bucks, whatever to get it autographed. I get it's limited and stuff. I don't know. I'm not going to spend the money, but I really want to get my hands on one of those. I saw somebody say seven hundred dollars. Did Tom die? And everybody's like, no, he's alive still. Like you can still get his autograph for 50 bucks. <laughs> I might pull the trigger on one of the one of the three hundred dollar ones. I, I got a couple I'm watching on eBay right now. Uh, you know, it's like when NECA did the uh, the Tom Atkins Night of the Creeps action figure. It was the same thing. I don't I don't know the number. It was limited though. I, I think it was more than a thousand. I didn't become aware of that until well after the fact. So I paid you know a couple hundred bucks. I don't remember exactly to get that figure. So you know it's. It's not out of the norm, but the $700 one, just because it has an autograph and it's limited, is very much bullshit. I'll stick to my $30 Blu-rays. You know, if you do open up your own rental store, that's going to have some startup cost. And if I do shell out some money to get this thing, it's going to need some money. How about we take it to a sponsor? You've survived the Orpheum's After Dark Film Festival so far. <laughs> Spooky movie fans, don't worry. There's more fright headed your way. Friday, October 20th, check out American Werewolf in London. Friday, October 27th, be the Orpheum's victim and witness 1992's Candyman on the big screen. The writing on the wall, the whisper in the glass will be my victim. Then Saturday, October 28th, put on your dancing shoes as we, with a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. For more info, look up the Galesburg Orpheum on Facebook or click over to galesburgorpheum.org. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for the movie. This episode, we're covering the straight to TV, ABC, 1985, The Midnight Hour. Look out, it's The Midnight Hour, baby! You told me I had to watch this on YouTube. That's the only place I could find it. Where did you watch it? Did you have it in your collection? No. The Internet Archive. You ever stumble across this website? No. So there's a website online. It's called The Internet Archive. And it's just chalk. Speak slowly. I got to write this down. The Internet Archive. Is it .com or .org? Or? I think it's .org. So how I watch this movie is on my phone with a Roku on my TV. Because you can airplay to a Roku. So I pulled it up on my phone and I watched it on the TV. And I watched it from KTVI St. Louis. I watched the original airing with commercials and all. 
Oh, wow. And it was a blast. The commercials from that era, from 1985. Oh, I'm jealous. I was like, this movie's an hour and 57 minutes long? Lord, what the hell am I watching? And then I get maybe 35 minutes in, and it cuts a commercial for Denny's. Check out Diddy's Grand Slam Breakfast. <laughs> and then the next one's like, check out JC Penny's $1 million diamond sale. And then there was, you know, Secrets and Alpo Dog Food and MacGyver. You're going to love it. And all the shows were like, who's the boss? MacGyver. Some other shows that I didn't recognize. But after they'd show like this on this episode of MacGyver, Casino Heist Gone Bad. MacGyver has to, you know what MacGyver does, make shit, you know, saves the day. And then he's down like in the corner. He's like, you're going to love it. So I was like, okay, even if the movie wasn't, you know, it was confusing and I kind of got lost and with the commercials, I was like, this is a fucking blast. Like to sit and watch this with the commercials like you would if you were seven years old or 10 years old when you would have been seven when it came out. I was like, okay, this is fun. I am jealous. Yeah, I watched it on YouTube and I am jealous because again, whether you like whether you did or didn't like the movie, I, that had to have transported you to a, a whole experience, you know. So that is that is really cool. You're right though, this was made for TV, made for ABC TV. So when you hear that, it's almost instantly off-putting, which I think for a made for television movie, this is actually had some scary parts when you think about it in that context but what's also interesting is depending on where you look this film up it's listed as a horror as a comedy as a sci-fi as a romance as it's like every subgenre you can think of this movie exists in yeah there was some parts that i was like oh it's getting a turn now it's gonna turn you know it's gonna get scarier or get better and it would let me down again it would go back into the story and i'm like damn it damn it it did this it almost, again, I think because it was made for television, it kind of lived on that edge of scary. It stayed on the safe side, but I think it lived in that edge of being a full-fledged, full-blown horror movie. But I think it really did a good job of flip-flopping between the scary and the corny. Like you say, it was just a get out, almost start to cross that edge into scary, then flip-flop back into something funny. But yeah, so the last episode, uh, we covered Horror Hotel. So this episode, as we're smack dab in the middle of October, we're going to welcome everybody back to Massachusetts. But this time, just instead of witches, we've got what? Demons, witches, vampires, exploding graves, apparently old school 1985 commercials if you watch it Brian's way. What is not to love? Werewolves. Don't forget werewolves. Oh, werewolves. Yeah. And ghosts. And wolf magic. Uh, Amazing cast. I mean, how do you get all these people in this movie? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me run down the list. My notes are actually a couple few a few pages longer this time just because of that. So in this movie, here my paper here. I usually try to make it so you can't hear the paper, but there's a lot of them. It's loaded with stars. So we got Sherry Belafonte. You got LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow and Star Trek, but from Reading Rainbow. You got Peter DeLuise from the original 21 Jump Street. You got Kevin McCarty from the 56 and 78 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Dick Van Patten, D.D. Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer's sister. You got Hank Garrett, who was in Amityville and Death Wish. Kurtwood Smith, who if you don't know the name by the name, Kurtwood Smith, come on, RoboCop, Clarence Boddicker, Red from that 70s show. Dumbass. <laughs> and then, of course, you got Wolfman Jack. I wish I could do a better impersonation of him. Yeah, loaded, loaded cast. And it aired at a weird time. I looked up the airing time. It aired November 1st from 9 to 11 Eastern. That's, what are they doing? Right, so this film, which if you haven't seen it, you'll figure out here as we get into the discussion, but it is a Halloween movie. It's about a Halloween party and some monsters come back from the grave. So it was weird to hear that it aired November 1st, but I figured out why. I went back and looked. I was like, what day was Halloween in 1985? In 1985, Halloween was on a Thursday. So it actually makes sense. I bet you the network was like, if we air this on Thursday, everybody's got to go to work and school the next day. So no one's going to watch it because they have to get up early and they're all out doing their Halloween stuff. So why don't we show it on a Friday when Halloween is still fresh in the mind and people don't have to get up and go to work the next day. And then it aired on uh, Lifetime several times in the early 90s. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, they aired a- On Lifetime? Wow. On Lifetime. Wednesday, October 31st, 1990. The showing's on December 27th, 1990. June 19th, 1992. And October 31st, 1992 on Lifetime. And this is kind of where I was telling Tiffany, I said, this is almost a, a Lifetime Hallmark Disney movie, maybe? 
like it's right there, like you said, on the edge there where it's scary at times, but not too scary. When the guy gets attacked by the zombies, they jump through the window there. You see him being attacked. But you don't see blood. You don't see guts. And that's where I thought it was going to turn too. But yeah, there's a couple of those where it's just scary enough, but it doesn't get too scary or too bloody or too gory. And the last, you know, the last story, because it kind of goes in segments, you know, it has each little story. That last story is definitely a lifetime Hallmark Disney kind of story, which I think was the best story, but that's neither here nor there. I know. I'm curious to hear what you thought when, when the movie opens. It opens on this kid getting ready to go deliver newspapers on his bike. This is back when kids still did that. And it was really jarring because he's sitting there bundling up his newspapers, putting rubber bands around him. And then all of a sudden, oh, he sticks a baseball card to the the back spokes, the spokes in his back wheel like we did when we were kids. I know I did. I don't know if you did, Brian. but And he kind of runs the wheel forward and he gets his hand caught in there and it cuts his finger or whatever. And right when it did that and he sees the blood, it like cuts to it cuts the, the midnight hour and Wolfman Jack's going, it's the Wolfman talking about midnight hour, baby. And then it goes right back to the kid loading up the rest of his newspapers. And it was really fucking weird. And then he goes on his paper route and he throws the paper at the cop and spills his coffee. And towards the end, he's going to maybe go home and somebody's raking the leaves and he rides through the leaves and the guy tries to hit him with the, the rake. And I'm just like, this kid, this is every paper boy ever. He's just having a blast and don't even care. Then towards the end of his route, he rides by or through the cemetery on the outskirts of town. And it looked like he was tossing a newspaper on a grave, which you're like, what? <laughs> but then all of a sudden they see that you see the grave digger or whatever is there and grabs it. The kid had on a skull mask too. He puts on a skull mask. It's Halloween. He's riding around delivering papers, but it looked just like the skull mask from Halloween three. I don't think it was, but it looked just like it. Now I want to deliver some papers just to throw them at people. Make some extra money. Just random people walking down the street, just hit him in the head with the paper. When he goes to the graveyard, did you see the, they had, basically you could tell there were fog machines buried under mounds of leaves on the, the graves. It was so cheesy. They were trying to create this whole early morning fog type stuff in the foggy cemetery, but it was just flat out, just smoke, just rising up in this thick stream from all the graves. It was bad. Yeah, this is the weirdest cemetery in the history of mankind, because when the kids go back, it's like foggy on fire, maybe? Like, it was weird when they go back to get the costumes or whatever. They're, the kids finally go back. They decide, so it's a group of kids, they're having a Halloween party. They decide they want to go get the costumes from the people that were witches, and they're all related to this group that was witches and the group that was people that fought the witches. They're all related to someone in this group of kids. So they decide they're going to go break into this crypt and take the costumes. And they stumble upon this scroll and this ring and all this other stuff. But yeah, the cemetery was like, yeah, it almost looked like it was on fire with fog machines. and The way they had it placed, it looked more like piles of burning leaves and it did fog. Yeah, the backstory of the film and all that stuff you learn about their descendants of witches and like witch finder generals in this small town, which is supposed to be in Massachusetts. The film was shot in uh, Southern California. There's one scene when the newspaper boy is out where you kind of you see the palm tree in the background real quick. You got to look for it. But so the, the backstory gets laid out that these high school kids are in class. The lead is doing a presentation on Halloween and the backstory of the town. And so like, oh, hey, we need costumes for the party. Let's go to the museum, steal, steal some of the, the costumes of the early Puritans and the witches and stuff. And that was what I thought was weird, too. They're like, OK, now where are we going to go to put these on? I know. Let's go put them on at the cemetery. That was it was cheesy. And then, of course, when they get to the cemetery, they don't even put them on. He throws the hat on. Then they find the scroll, which I blame LeVar Burton from reading Rainbow. I mean, if it wasn't for him pulling out the trunk, then they would never have anything to read. LeVar Burton, reading Rainbow. Butterfly in the sky I can go twice as high Take a look It's in a book A reading rainbow and then so, of course, they are goofing around and they read the scroll. And, of course, it's the descendant of the witch who reads the, the scroll. And then, like, the wind picks up and it's kind of eerie. And then they're like, let's get out of here. And they split. And there's always that one kid. We shouldn't be doing this. This probably isn't a good idea. They do it anyway. He ends up becoming our hero, the nerdy kid, you know, the 
can't get true love and loves a girl that's maybe out of his league or wants nothing to do with him. Yeah, she doesn't want shit to do with him. Yeah. They leave the cemetery, they go and you kind of start see bits and pieces of their lives, uh, all the little subplots, like the one kid doesn't get along with his dad, who's an alcoholic judge, kind of a dick, and you just see him getting ready for the party and you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, then you come back to the cemetery because you find out that the incantation they read was real. And so all of these ghouls burst up from the ground. And I don't care what anybody says, the scenes of the dead in their coffins underground, those were fantastic. Of them busting out of the coffins. I think they were done better than Return of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Yeah, the makeup on those was awesome. And the shots, you know, just like people scratching at the coffins. Yeah, that was amazing. They did great on a lot of the practical effects in this movie. Then they cut right to the cheese. It looked really cool. And I think that was one of those moments where the movie was almost a little too scary for TV. It was like, holy shit. Then they cut right back to the cheese. All the graves like explode. (laughs) I mean, literally explode up. Now, the actor that plays the judge is in UHF, which we just watched not too long ago at our house. He plays the same character in that movie. I think he plays the same asshole character in every movie he's in. In every movie, yeah. He's great at it. But yeah, I was like, hey, that's the guy from UHF that owns the other TV station. I always called him the poor man's uh, Ted White. Ted White played Judge Smales in Caddyshack, and he was he was in... um. Oh, what was three? Not three's company. He was in an 80s sitcom too. He reminds me of my grandpa. So I always thought that the judge was like the poor man's him. You, Brian, being a Return of the Living Dead fan, did you feel, especially when the when they were all coming out of their graves and it had some comedic elements, did you feel that it was, I thought it was heavy, heavy on the Return of the Living Dead part two. It had a lot of throwbacks to other movies that, I mean, 85, ooh, that Return of the Living Dead 2 wouldn't have been out yet, right? That's what I mean, is I was curious if you got Return of the Living Dead 2 from that, because I wonder if that is what influenced Return of the Living Dead part two. Yeah, but even like um, the mask on the kid in the beginning in Halloween 3, I wonder if this movie was... Like you said, or, you know, like I said, an influence as younger people or as those directors watched it and were like, oh, that's cool. Not a lot of people watch this or have seen this. I can throw this in my movie because that's great. So I wonder what kind of, you know, cultural significance it's had that we don't know about. And maybe it's just, it's not. Maybe it's just a coincidence that it happened. You're saying maybe they were cherry picking, you know, different things. Or we talk about, I used to wonder if um, filmmakers, when, when we did cover The Burning and it, all those films came out in, you know, The Burning and Friday the 13th Part 2 and uh, My Bloody Valentine all came out in 81. And there's very similar elements. And it was like, okay, are there stealing ideas? Or is it just all cultural reference? Is it just all people influencing each other, kind of cherry picking ideas like you're saying? I know um, the Return of the Living Dead 2 elements, again, this is pre-Return of the Living Dead 2. I think the elements actually worked better in this movie than it did in Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which a lot of people didn't like because of the comedy, based simply off the fact that it wasn't something in the Return of the Living Dead franchise where you already had to live up to the original. So I think they were a little more free to you, and I think that comedy worked better, and it was it was fun. Bottom line, and you know, we've got some more stuff to talk about. This is just a fun movie. Yeah, I had like I said, I had fun with it because of the commercials and just kind of sitting here. I was up till 11, 11.30 watching it. So I was watching it, you know, about the original time that it aired, and it was just kind of a throwback to my childhood, just sitting, staying up late and watching the movie. And you could run maybe and go to the bathroom, get a snack while the commercials are playing and hurt, try to hurry back so you don't miss anything. And then they'd get you too. They'd be like, ABC, I don't even remember what it was called. Tonight, an ABC premiere presentation midnight movie or whatever because it had like the logo would come with the stars and the lights and then it'd be like and the movie will return after this and you're like i just watched three commercials so you're like i hurried back and then you're going to more commercials like damn it get back to the movie they're giving you that two minute warning buffer hurry up if you want to watch this try to find it on internetarchive.org if you have a roku you can airplay it from your iphone watch it that way you know just set your phone down and watch it on the tv I mean, you can watch it on your laptop, too, through internet, archive.org. But, yeah, definitely watch it that way with the commercials. It's so much fun. 
Yeah, and, and currently you can't stream this anywhere except YouTube. So if you don't own a physical copy of this, or if Brian never obtains it and starts his rental business, and you can't rent it from him because I have it, <laughs> the YouTube version it, it was a pretty clear version, real limited, real limited commercials, but not not the fun fun stuff that Brian's talking about. You have it on VHS for uh, Blu-ray. Me? I don't have a period. I had, I had to watch it on YouTube. It's on uh, VHS and oh DVD. It doesn't even have a Blu-ray release. And both releases are out of print. Well, we better talk to our friends over to TerraVision and get that corrected, if they're so inclined. I feel like this would be right up Justin's alley. Yeah, me too. Back to the story, you know, they resurrect the monsters and there's everything. You've got zombies, you've got werewolves. You've got demons, you've got ghosts. Lucinda is like the main witch, and she was talked about as a witch. And then Sherry Belafonte is her great, great, you know, great, 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 how many ever greats, granddaughter. They're all at this big Halloween party at Sherry, Bel- Sherry Belafonte's house. I think her, the character name was Melissa. And it just looked like a fun time. I was like, oh my God, I wish I could go to a Halloween party like that. Everybody's dressed up. Everybody's having fun. There was no drama, no bullshit. It was just all everybody having a good time, you know. Lucinda the witch goes there. She moves in on her granddaughter. And then out of nowhere, and this is where it, one of the things that kind of lost me, is you find out she's a vampire. So is she a witch or is she a vampire? And then after like you realize she's a vampire, the whole witch thing just kind of went out the window, and a lot of it was vampires. The scene where Sherry Belafonte's Melissa characters in the wine cellar in the basement, getting some wine for D.D. Pfeiffer, who is like the substitute teacher at school who just showed up and started drinking. I'm like, oh, that's a cool sub. Lucinda moves in, bites her, turns into a vampire. And it was, I love the theatrics of it. The red wine's bursting everywhere. Like I got the visuals. It was kind of cool. But you had these like floating wine bottles and it was just odd. It didn't make sense. My favorite part about the party was the little zombie, maybe skeleton guy. He's drinking out of the bowl, the punch bowl. He like puts his face down there and is lapping it up like a dog. I was like, can we say midget or is it little person now in the PC world? I have no idea. He drank it and then the kid gives him his sunglasses. He's like, hey, you need these. That was probably one of the funnest parts of the movie was not everybody that got resurrected was out to kill people. Like half of them were just wanted to have fun. There's a zombie couple like making out and the kid's like, these two are making out like right next. He doesn't realize they're a zombie couple, but uh, he can't get nothing. You know, and these two are just like making out like wild animals next to him. Yeah. The one chick wanted nothing to do with him. And he's like, man. And then so Sherry Belafonte, who's a vampire now is making out with LeVar Burton. Zombie couple's making out. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. What's funny is, is when the zombie couple, I don't know if you caught it, but when they first started kissing, they immediately checked afterwards to make sure their lips were still there. Did you see that? <laughs> it was, yeah. They're, when they're like, oh, oh, okay. They're good. They're still there. Yeah. That was a great part of the, of the story is that not everything that got resurrected was out to kill people. And you, you find that out maybe a little later that explain that. Yeah. It's not everything is going to kill people when it comes back to life. Some of it just wants to do what it didn't do. When it was alive, like fall in love. Which was a really well-balanced and great subplot, I thought, to this whole thing. One of the subplots that actually helped drive the story. But real quick, I, since we were talking about um, Lucinda biting her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter. I don't know if you caught this, but one of the things I had issues with was Lucinda. You know, she's the witch, and then you find out she's actually a vampire. Maybe she's both, whatever. She comes back from the dead, and she has color tone to her skin. And then after she bites and turns... Sherry Belafonte into a, a vampire. Then all of a sudden there's a scene where she's pale. And then the next scene she has color again. And then the next scene she's pale. I think that must have been like a continuity goof. Cause it was just kind of weird. It was one of the things I noticed that was jarring to why is she this now? She's a different color and it was odd. Yeah. If anything, you'd be pale before you fed and then you'd get color afterwards. That's what I was thinking. And it almost worked the opposite way. And then it just started bouncing all over the place. LeVar Burton didn't mind. No, no, he didn't care. <laughs> And yes, you're right. There was love in the air because one of the dead that was released from the graves was this uh, 50s sock hop cheerleader chick who was wandering around town. And it was almost like she knew that she was dead, but she was confused because she she wasn't for sure. And things in the town were different. And she went and visited her old house and things were different. You know, like the house was 
said they had remodeled or whatever. She winds up hooking up with our hero, and then they just kind of scroll through town, and she's trying to have fun. That got to another goofy thing. I don't know if you noticed this. She wants to go to the drive-in. She's from the 50s, so all of her dialogue and references are based on that time. She wants to go to the drive-in. She wants to go to the malt shop. So they go to the drive-in. He's like, well, it's not a drive-in. You know, it's it's a movieplex, indoor movieplex. And they're out there, and she's kind of bummed out. And then she sees two wads of newspaper on the ground. And she picks them up and they're just wads of newspaper. And within like a half a second of a frame, they're all shredded into palm palms. It was so weird. And the dude didn't even question it. He was just, and she starts doing this little cheer. It was so weird. Yeah. And then she gets him involved. Louder, louder. Who's going to win? The funniest part of that was she wanted to go to the malt shop. She wanted to go to the movie theater. She wanted to go to make out point. Yeah. And she like put that lipstick on and I was like, oh man, she is ready for make out point. One of the questions she asked at the movie theater was like five movies at once. How do you not hear the other movies through the walls? And the kid's like, oh, you do. (laughs) (laughs) There's those little sprinkles of humor that where I read on Wikipedia, it said dark comedy, you know, black comedy, whatever. But yeah, it's fun. It, maybe non-horror fans or somebody that's looking for something a little more serious wouldn't catch. I enjoyed the little comedy in there. Yeah, I think it was pretty well balanced. Uh, and again, uh, I'm kind of repeating what I said. I think when it got when it got too corny, it brought itself back to scary. When it got too scary, it brought itself back at very well balanced. So they get to they get to make out point and they get attacked by the werewolf. And then they go to the cop shop to report it. And this was my biggest hang up of the story. You kind of get the sense that she as a ghost or as a, you know, whatever, she realizes now that she's dead, but she didn't think it was weird. She reporting this werewolf to the cops, like it's this odd thing. And why won't they listen? I don't know. It was just weird. And then they're walking down the street because the cops want nothing to do with them. They're getting all these calls and they think it's Halloween pranks because the town is slowly starting to get taken over by all these creatures. Then he brings up the, the scroll and it was like a light bulb clicked and she's like, wait, what scroll? What happened? What did you do? And I'm thinking, well, how did you not know this? You were, you know, resurrected from the cemetery, looked around and saw these other monsters and you guys all walked out of the fucking cemetery together and she acted like it was a news flash. Well, that was funny when they go to the police station and he, she says, I knew the fuzz wouldn't listen to us or something along those lines and the cops are like, fuzz, we ain't heard that one in a long time. Right. In 30 years. Right. While all this was going on, we cut back to the party, and out of nowhere comes the music video. It's song to get down with, about six feet under. Get down. Ooh, I love this song. I'm dead, you're dying. Everybody should try it. A song made just for this movie, and it's this whole thriller-style type dance number, and it's glorious. I fucking love it. I don't care. And it made sense because they're at a Halloween party, so I didn't think it was too weird. It was fun. And Boots is watching this with me, and she's like, uh... I didn't know this was going to be a musical. And so I had to explain to her the time frame. You know, Thriller was out and music videos were huge. And this is back when you had giant dance number routines for just about everything. It was great. It was fun. Do you have any idea what the budget was for this movie? No, I couldn't find anything about the budget. I can only imagine it had to be pretty big because based off the stars, based off the soundtrack, it had a great soundtrack. If you've never seen this movie, regardless if you're a fan of horror or not, you are going to recognize just about every song, except the one for the musical that was made. This would be a great soundtrack to put on vinyl or, you know, re-release and have somebody put that out. Or maybe our friends at Terravision can get that for us, too. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, you got Little Red Riding Hood. you got Bad Moon Rising. You've got The Midnight Hour. You've got a lot of great, great songs. So we get to the end. You know, they're having the dance. The kid finds out that everybody's out to get him, like everybody's turned pretty much in the town. I mean, the judge tries to kill him because he's a zombie now and he can't drive. See, I think he was a demon. That was the thing was because he was killed by the serial killer who I think he convicted to the to be put to death and he was brought back. So some of them were demons and you could you could tell a little bit by the and the demon makeup was actually kind of weak. I thought it was just like smeared on grease paint. But anyway, um, yeah, all the monster. And if you were touched by evil, if you were alive and you were touched by evil, you became evil. So by now, like the whole town has been turned except for our lead and the ghost sock hop girl. And they go to the party, right? And they realize that everybody's turned. And then they start getting chased to the cemetery. 
Yeah, so they go to the cemetery, and of course, at 11.59.59, they get the seal put on, and everything goes back to normal, but not normal. So she finds out, or she remembers, or whatever, that you have to have the ring of the witch hunter, who is this guy's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, and you have to mix wax with the bones of his great-great-great-great-great-grandpa and reapply the seal to the scroll. And if you don't do it by midnight, then basically evil lives forever kind of thing. So he, they rush to the cemetery, open the crypt, and mix the wax with his bones. It was like bone dust. And they, yeah, right at 11.59, right at the last second, they seal it and everybody just magically disappears. The graveyard's all put back together. Everything is righted. And she's gone. The love of his wife. Her last words were, I love you. This is a love story. He goes out and he sees her grave and she had marked it, you know, I with XO, I think, Phil. Yeah, well, no, it was it was her initials plus his initials and in, in her in her lipstick. And then uh, on his way home, Wolfman Jack comes on with a request. Hey, the first caller after midnight on the Wolfman's dedication line is a young lady who really wanted to make sure we got this right out right away. It's from Sandy to Phil. So I, I had fun with this movie. It, it took me a while to get into it, but yeah, I had fun with it. And the commercials helped a ton. Just kind of a transport back to my younger days watching TV like you used to have to watch TV. Now people are like, oh, commercials, I'm not watching that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, again, we're smack dab in the middle of October. And this, I think, is a fun Halloween movie. I think this should actually be like one of those Halloween tradition movies. We do this a lot on this show. I, I don't even know if it's on purpose. Well, it's not on purpose, but we keep going to these movies that are safe for everybody to watch. They're edgy enough where the adults are going to enjoy it, but they're safe enough where the kids are going to be okay with it. They might get a little scared. This is one of those great movies you put on while you have everybody over and you're carving pumpkins or you're decorating your house or you're getting ready to go out to your Halloween party or you're local haunted house and just get you in the mood for Halloween. I was thinking last night, I was like, man, Clint's taking me on this trip of horror movies that are gateway horror movies. This is a gateway horror movie. This is, you know, 10, 12 year old, maybe even eight or nine year old kid could sit down with their parents, watch this movie, ask questions, not be too scared, not wake up at night. You know, there's no nudity. There's no blood or guts. There's no cursing in it. And again, something you could put on every Halloween and watch. Remember, couple months ago when we were like let's cover demoniacs well we didn't pick it but let's cover uh with Brent Edgett, we watched all those shock cinema stuff like last house in the left and women getting raped and now we've like we're on the bottom of the roller coaster when are we gonna start tick tick ticking back up well i think the movie we have planned for the next episode takes us back in that direction a little bit actually the the next movie we're going to discuss puts us back in that controversial realm because the movie we decided which is halloween themed it's very divisive people love it or hate it i can't wait to talk about that one i know some people it's going to piss off which is going to be fun but yeah right now we're in nostalgia land we're like hey happy fun time halloween movies it's fun it's this is something i'll put on sometime with finley and tiffany and sit down and watch it i'm sure finley would be like what the hell this maybe she won't say what the hell's this but you know when the denny's commercial comes on they're gonna be like what is going on here i've heard her swear she'll say what the hell is this i've heard it yeah she might so what do you think should we write it you got more trivia no it was actually there wasn't there wasn't a lot on uh internet movie database and nothing extra that i knew of nothing really substantial so where i read the about this movie one of the other things that was said that i thought remind me of you was there's some likening to children shouldn't play with dead things there is i'm i was gonna bring that up and i forgot i'm glad you said that yeah the the intro as far as them going to the cemetery and dabbling in witchcraft it, it was uh, a little influenced by that which is a, i love children shouldn't play with dead things like you said some thriller maybe a little grease in there too a little bit a lot of fun stuff sprinkled throughout this movie let's what would you rate it so if I had to watch it without the commercials, I'd probably give it a five, which is really low for my ratings. I mean, I but with the commercials, 
I gave it a seven out of ten songs from Sandy to Phil. So I had fun with it. I mean, it's one of those that I could, like I said, sit down and watch with the family, throw on in a group of friends. It would be fun, especially if they're friends that are, you know, our age or close to our age, because you'd get the throwbacks with the commercials and you'd surprise them. You wouldn't even tell that the commercials are in there watching it. And then a Denny's commercial pops up for chicken fried steak. (laughs) And then you're like, what the hell? (laughs) I have recorded VHS tapes from when I was a kid where like they would show Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and I would record it. And every once in a while I go back to watch show those just to watch the commercials and remember what was going on at my local radio station and Halloween that year or whatever. It's it's fun. So what about you? The commercials thing, I'm going to do the same thing as you because I didn't know that existed. In fact, I'm going to go watch this again the way you watched it just so I can experience that because that'll be great. This is a great movie. It's a fun movie. Um, it should be a Halloween tradition movie. It's got a great soundtrack. It's actually fairly well acted. Like I don't have an issue with any of the acting. I've got to hang up with some of the continuity stuff and, and some of the the concepts but all in all it's great Uh, i didn't even think about the children shouldn't play with dead things reference or influence i almost view this as um like a pg yeah we'll say pg version of night of the demons which i don't know if you agree with that it's a little odd but it's it's kind of in that vein i'm going seven i'm going seven out of ten different monsters because this was loaded with like every different fucking type of monster you could think of but if i had that experience of the commercials i'd probably go to eight eight and a half just based off that fun movie i've seen it i've seen it half dozen times and i will definitely be watching it again and i actually for whatever reason maybe it's just me getting older but i appreciate it the more i watch it when i watched it last Last year, I was like, man, this is better than I remembered. Then when I watched it a couple days ago before this recording, I was like, man, this is really good. Each time I watch it, I enjoy it more and more. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely a, you know how some movies are, you put it in, you don't really prep yourself for it. I feel like this is one of those, you have some drinks ready, you know, whatever you drink, soda or Kool-Aid or whatever, if you like alcohol, you have some popcorn, you have some snacks, you sit down and watch it with your family or by yourself, but you prep for it. Chicken wings or something. I went and got some cheeseburgers from McDonald's because I was like, I'm kind of hungry and I want to just sit here and have a Diet Coke and watch this movie. What the hell is wrong with you? This is a Halloween movie, so you need popcorn mixed with candy corn and you need candy apples. Well, I'm fat and diabetic, so I just ate the meat off the cheeseburger. Oh, that's I get it. I didn't, I didn't mean to call you out there. Sorry about that. <laughs> that sounds good. But no, I can't have that. Yeah, again, I went seven out of ten different types of monsters, and it would be eight, eight and a half if it was the commercials. But you know, I know something else that's full of a bunch of different types of monsters, our podcast network, the PFPN. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for this day, or this week, in horror history. A date which will live in infamy. So this episode, we're covering October 15th through the 29th. We've got a ton of movies and a couple birthdays. So for movies, starting on October 16th, you heard of this one? Strange Behavior, released in 1981. Classic. Candyman in 1992. Bride of Chucky in 1998. And Planet Terror in 2007. Yeah. Two of those will be shown at the Orpheum this year. Strange Behavior and Candyman. One's already shown. And Planet Terror was covered on our podcast. We covered that what, October 18th. A month and a half, two months ago. Motel Hell. Farmer Johnson's Fritters. What do you mean? That's a classic. I could have some of the fritters because I'm diabetic. You know, that's not got sugar in it. I love that fucking movie. Don't you, don't you ever, eh, that movie. We're not friends anymore. Don't call me. Reanimator in 1985. Wait. And The Dentist. Eh. No, you like that movie. Eh. And The Dentist in 1996. I love Reanimator. That's a healthcare double feature. Doctor and a dentist, right? Yeah, it is. October 29th, 1982. 
Q, The Winged Serpent, Return of the Living Dead 3 in 1993. I love that movie. I know it's uh, one of those controversial ones. That's a great flick. Terror Firmer. In 1999, from Troma. I hate to say it, I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen that one either. And the original Saul in 2004. Has it been that long since the original Saul came out? Yeah, it's crazy. And they're still pumping them out. And then on October 20th, we have a birthday. 1882, Bela Lugosi was born. You know him. Yeah, I mean, Dracula, White Zombie, eh. Black Cat, The Raven, The Wolfman, Plan 9 from Outer Space. I was going to say, don't leave out the Ed Wood stuff. I mean, he's one of the main characters in the Ed Wood movie. You know, with Johnny Depp. Sad story. You watch that movie and you feel yeah. bad for him. Like as famous as he was at the time, he fell on really hard times, you know, as he got older. And I think that's kind of what Strike is about now is they don't want that to happen to future generations actors. Even though it happened, you know, 60 years ago, they're trying to prevent that from people putting in years of hard work and then being destitute. And then, of course, unfortunately with him, he turned, you know, to drugs. I've always looked at that period of his life, which was the end of his life, and looked at that movie and that story. You can look at it two different ways. He was already struggling with addiction and he was lonely and depressed and probably did he didn't. He didn't have a lot of time left. Did Ed Wood come in and allow him to ride out his final days with some sense of glory? Or did it aid in his addiction and maybe have, you know, Bella pass sooner? I always kind of look at it as the other. It allowed for him to ride out his final days in some form of glory. Some people look at it differently because Plan 9 from Outer Space and the original Universal Monsters, Dracula, are polar opposites. Hey, he got back to work and he enjoyed life for a little while. He passed by the time Plan 9 got popular and gained this cult following. It was called the, what, the worst movie ever made. But we've talked about this a lot. Even if you're doing the worst thing that maybe someone's ever seen, you're doing more than most people. And you're doing what you love and you're passionate about it and you're putting films out. So I hope it was that he got to act again and enjoy life and be around people and be happy before he passed. Absolutely. And I tell you what, you're, uh, I commented in the last episode where we covered Horror Hotel. That was a solid horror history lineup that you put together also. Usually they're kind of like, oh, that's cool, that's cool. And then I'm like, well, whatever. Uh, but this is another one where the, everything you said was solid. Planet Terror, we covered a couple months ago. Of course, that was the demise of our former co-host Jason. Wasn't that Jason's last episode? Oh, it might have been. And that was a good movie. It was a good movie. He turned into a mutant at the end and we had to kill him. That's why he's no longer on the show. We kind of just let, you know, we let him live out the last of his days like Ed Wood let Bella live out the last of his. So we got going on anything? So this episode comes out October 15th. We will be recuperating from a crazy weekend at the Orpheum. On the, the 13th, I'm going to Halloween Palooza. I'm going to hang out with the PFPN crew. The 15th, I'll be probably half dead. <laughs> but then that next Friday, I plan on being the Orpheum on the 20th for American Werewolf in London. And then the next Friday is the Candyman, the 27th. And then on the 28th, I will be one of the judges for the Rocky Horror Picture Show costume contest, which is at the Orpheum. I think doors open at 1030, costume contest at 11, movie starts at midnight. So that's always fun to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight, way past my bedtime. Halloween will be coming up, so I'll be prepping for that. I get to be Bruno for Halloween this year. How scary is that? Bruno. From Encanto. What the fuck is that? I have a five-year-old. I have a five-year-old that runs things around here. So we're all characters from Encanto. You don't want to watch it. So my boots, my youngest, she's 12. She'll be 13 soon. I loved experiencing all the children's movies and stuff with them as they were growing up. And some I felt I could stray them away from, but most we, you know, consumed. But I am glad now because so much social commentary seems to get pushed into those things. I'm glad I don't know what the fucking Canto is. I am glad that Boots and I, you know, last night before this recording, sat down and watched the first four episodes of Castlevania Nocturne, the new anime series on Netflix. Well, good luck being dressed up as Bruno from in Can Cantu or whatever. I think the funnest part about it will be in the movie, they say we don't talk about Bruno because nobody talks about him. So when somebody asks who I am, I'm just going to say we don't talk about it. <laughs> you do it right. You could add a little creepy, creepy element to that. He pretty much just a homeless guy that wears a shawl and has a rat on his shoulder. That's an easy enough costume to put together. Some flip flops and some sweatpants. I'm Bruno. 
You should add some dimensions to that character and do like a comb over, like a real thin comb over. I know that you don't have the hair to comb over, but you could probably get like a little something. Maybe draw them on there. That'd be cool. Like women draw their eyebrows on, you know, you could do that. You could draw a comb over. But yeah, the second half of October is going to be time spent at the Orpheum and catching up on things that we couldn't catch up on during the first couple of weeks because we were just so damn busy with, you know, Vegas and Halloween Apalooza and our, the you know, the event at the Orpheum and just putting all this stuff together. Maybe relax and watch some movies. I know you got stuff to do, though. I got stuff going on. So you are going to be watching American Werewolf in London. I'm going to be Ted and Heather from Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium. We are hitting the road. We are heading down to Scarefest in Kentucky. And that is going to be October 20th, 21st, and 22nd. It's going to be my second year there. Um, Had a good time there last year. Wasn't going to go this year. They upped their table prices for vendors. And I was just kind of doing the math. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I performed like I did last year, which wasn't bad. I'm like, is it going to be worth it? But Ted really wanted to go. And so we're splitting some costs. So we're heading down to Kentucky. You know, what's cool about that is, is Netflix recently released their, um, their I don't know, docu-show wrestlers on, on Netflix. And it's about OVW, ran by Al Snow. And that's in Louisville. It's not far from the event. And they're putting on a show that Saturday. I'm not going to have a vehicle. I'm riding down with Ted and them because he's got the truck and the trailer and all that. So I thought about seeing if Ted wanted to uh, Saturday night go check out OVW. They do a televised show down there. That's going on. And then, of course, like Brian said, we're getting into Halloween. Now, shortly before Halloween, oh, man, I don't know if I want to announce this or not. I am dusting off my haunt gear. I'm tuning up the saw. I'm throwing on some fake faces from other people's real faces that I've collected over the years. And one of my many characters, if not a few of them, are going to guest act at least one night, possibly two, but I'm pretty sure just one, at a a local haunted house about 10 minutes from where I live that um, I've been talking to about doing some things possibly. And uh, some of my actors from my old Haunted House Corpse Barn are there acting this year. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to dust off the gear and I'm going to go down and see how bad my ring rust is. It's been about three years since I've uh, been able to enjoy that therapy. And I believe it's going to be a full moon. Because I think in October we've got two or three full moons. Of course, and you got Friday the 13th. And this is going to be one hell of an October. Or it has been so far and it will continue to be. That's what I got going on. Thrills, chills, and hopefully some fucking money. Yeah, that'd be nice. I need money to buy more movies. Not that I need more movies, but shit. I'm telling you, man. Brian's Rental Store. We could come up with a cooler name than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just starting to spitball. And a better logo than my face. Even when I came up with the Spooky Boys logo and I did like the Pet Boys thing and I got your face on there, I still look at it and go, oh, sure. It's okay. It's just a it's just a cartoon. It's a characterization. It's okay. Yeah, I could wear this face. I don't even need a mask. Just be like, oh, just put me out front by the road. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a lot more candy left over at the end of the year. No one will approach you to take it. So now that you've heard the news... Why we're poor, about our movie, some horror history, and what we're up to. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Follow the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast on every damn social media platform known to humankind. Listen to Spill the Guts for your horror news. Check out Mishmash for your Michigan happenings. All things horror and horror adjacent. Take care. Happy haunting. Bye-bye. Until next time. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?